0: we married and we built a lovely home in York Bay where we st- still got the same property today and we had two children and had a very happy happy environment in the bay that we live in and when wahine storm came and my life completely changed in every direction and in the news tonight the wahine disaster The death toll from the stricken ferry in Wellington Harbour is rising steeply. The police say there have been at least 40 deaths. Meanwhile, the search for survivors is being concentrated on the eastern side of the harbour between Eastbourne and Pencarrow. A few hundred
1: yards offshore, the inter-island ferry Wahine is drifting helplessly backwards up the harbour. Most of the time it is obscured by driving rain and sleet and spray whipped up off the sea. But a few moments ago it was visible, clearly visible from the shore and it appeared to be moving slowly backwards towards the rocks a few hundred yards from the shore. In contrast to one of the worst storms New Zealand's ever witnessed, it's beautifully calm this morning in York Bay, where Eastbourne resident Margaret Rankin lives. Margaret will never forget the Wahine sinking in the Wellington Harbour on the 10th of April 1968. As a VAD, or Volunteer Aid Detachment, with the Red Cross, Margaret was determined that her community would be prepared if disaster struck again. Margaret went on to establish the first civil defence team in Eastbourne, earn numerous Red Cross awards, and in 2009 became Wellingtonian of the Year. In their original home, in the same room that lost its roof, Margaret recounts the longest day of her life.
0: My son, Bruce, was um, about 15 at the time, and he was going out to Scots. He went out to Scots as normal with my husband. They left home, and they thought they'd be able to get through and out. We knew there was a storm going, but nobody knew at half past seven the velocity of the storm and where it was going to lead. Julie was about seven at the time, and she was on her way down the road to catch the bus to go round to Murat High School. She came back crying and she said, I can't get down the hill. She said, um, the wind's blowing too hard and I can't I can't move. So I said, will you come back and we'll have a nice little time together. With that, my mother-in-law, who was living in the adjoining house up on the hill, rang and she said, my roof's going, my roof's going. Um, come and get me. So I came up through the bush and... Mother was absolutely correct. The roof was going, and it was just lifting like mm-hmm. tissue paper. It mm-hmm. was just flying all round the bay, just like tissue paper, so and it was all very, very frightened. The wind was then at its getting at its highest peak. It was about half past eight or nine o'clock by this time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in the morning, and um, you couldn't see out to the heads. You couldn't see anything. It was just a tremendous. Pull of rain and wind and velocity was so strong with the downdraft and the pressure of the wind the bush just didn't seem to exist at all it was just um and as i said the noise you just couldn't talk through it it was, it was just terrible. a roaring you know, Just the roaring of the wind mm. uh, a beam came through the the ceiling and went through the main window and the whole room later became awash with water and the room was, mm-hmm. was just completely devastated.
1: This is the house we're sitting in This right is now. the house
0: that we're sitting in at this moment, yes. And, and looking out there and through that window, that window just didn't exist at all. It, it, the, the beams had gone straight through it. In. And the house was wrenched very badly from mm-hmm. its foundation, so... But it was a brand-new house, and it was it's just... It so, terrifying. Yes, it was quite terrifying. Brilliant. So I got Mother back down, down to our house um, below us, and uh, I rang Ian, and I said, Ian, you've got to come home. Um, mother's house, uh, the roof's going, and I think Mother's house is going. And he then turned around with one of his employees and proceeded to try and get home. He got along the hut road fine and got to Point Hard, and the police stopped him. And they said, "No, no, you're not allowed through. It's far too dangerous." And Ian said, "Well, I've got to get through." Would this be because the waves would have been washing oh, right the wa- across waves, the waves, and it was just so here in Eastbourne, it, it was just oh. absolutely impassable. Yep. So, Ian and cars said, would have been washed away if yes, they had tried, and to. It didn't know even if the road was going to be left standing. Mm. So, Ian said, "Well, I've got to get through," and they said, "Well, this truck's got to get through. If you like to take the risk and follow the truck through." Um, it's on your own. On your own head. You can do it. So, Ian being Ian, he did, and he said he was dodging trees um, and boats and debris along um, Lowry, in Lowry Bay. He said it was just a nightmare getting through, but he did get home, and um, it was a great relief to me to see him at the back door, and I fell into his arms and in, mm. in tears, and feeling that. He's home. Everything's going to be fine now. All mm-hmm. well, the phones were all gone. Um, the power was off, and we sat and waited it out and listened and to radio. what was going on on the radio. Now, after after that, we came up to the house. After it subsided, which was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we came up to the house and and surveyed the damage. And looking out onto the harbour was the most amazing sight because it had become a dead, still calm, and it was just like black oil, Mm. Um, and the sky was almost black, and it was only 3 o'clock in the afternoon, very early in the the, um, day anyway. And uh, the sirens were all going backwards and forwards around the bays with... Um, the ambulances and the, and the police and the fire brigades so that we knew it was really much worse than, than we could possibly have imagined and what they were saying over the radio at the time.
1: Two violent storms merging over Wellington created the extreme extratropical cyclone conditions. A total of 53 people lost their lives when the wahine sank. So I'm following Margaret now out onto her balcony so we can sort of get the sense of the outside and this amazing view. We can hear the cicadas in the background and we're on the point of your balcony now overlooking the whole of Wellington Harbour actually and right out to
0: Barrett's Reef. It was a flat calm and black and just this black oiliness and this black cloud and it was still mid-afternoon and you could see the hulk of the wahine over there, and then of course the cars and the emergency vehicles flashing their lights, coming back with them forward. Just on the constant street. Const- it's yes, the constant the street. And it, it, it was just so eerie. So, um, was, and we hadn't really realised, we hadn't heard the news of the tragedy and the extent it was, so you didn't realise the extent I mean, you didn't know that those people had all been lost round on on Pinnaroo cliffs on the on the wa- on the shoreline round there. You didn't. None, we knew none of that. We just had that that very strong sense of of tragedy. Something ominous had happened, and uh, it wasn't until it all transpired later on in the evening and. People started to um, yes, it was, yes, and babies had been separated from mothers and all the rest of it, and yeah. um, all, yes, yes, mm-hmm. but, and
1: uh, some incredible life-saving stories as oh, well. Oh yes, yes, in, in yes. And people from your own communities and around the bays here yes, actually yes. jumping in and helping. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh no, they, they did. Red
0: yes. Well, and not just is. red. It was just the whole Everybody community. It was happened. a community. Yes.
1: And in the same spirit of community, Margaret and her late husband Ian became the backbone of the Red Cross and civil defence movement
0: on the coast. About a month later, our local constable, um, Gordon Hogg, came round to us all dressed up in his uniform and he knocked on the front door and he said, um, Ian and I thought, oh, what on earth have we done wrong? What's happened? And he came in and he said, I want to talk to you two. And he said, um, Margaret, now... you have been a VAD, uh, you know what first aid is all about. He said, I want you to start first aid classes around here in Eastbourne and I want you to be involved with the Red Cross. And I said, well, yes, that's all right, I'm happy to do that. And he turned to Ian and he said, and you, Ian, are to be a warden in the bays? He said, what I'm doing is that I'm going around every bay in the area. He said, I'm setting up warden's It posts in each area so that everybody knows where to go in an emergency and everybody is to be a trained person to know how to care for the community.
1: In first aid. And this was the beginning of the civil defence? Now,
0: this was the actual beginning of civil defence. And later on, civil defence emergency management seemed to follow and to my mind it is still as valuable today as it was in those days back then.